0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. good morning. good morning. I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe some of you guys, like myself, uh, uh, throughout this week, it seems like it's, uh, it's kind of common for most of us. Uh, we find ourselves under a great deal of pressure through the week. You know what I'm talking about? Life has a way of applying pressure to us and um, from time to time you know uh, I find myself Tim as I draw close to God and I'm in his word I feel like it works as a almost like a pressure release valve you know what I'm talking about where I can literally feel an escape from that in the presence of God and whatnot. not and, and I hope and I pray that when we gather in a place like this and we're worshiping and we're studying God's word that you experience that that uh, as you gravitate towards God's Word and you cling to that and your hope is anchored in that, that you feel a, a release from the grip of uh, this world's pressure, understanding that ultimately God is sovereign and God is in control and God does love you. And, uh, and I want you guys to understand that. And so... When we do the studies uh, through the scripture, as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we work through. What we're trying to do and what we want uh, you to experience and what uh, you to, to benefit from is what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus in uh, chapter 1, verse 15. This is what he said, and this is, this is the leadership's hope for the driven church. He says this, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And that's what we should be doing for one another, right? Be praying for one another, right? He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, better, better. And we believe that is found in the Scripture. When we open the Scripture and we begin to study, we begin to read, we begin to see who God is, God's character, that can be accomplished. But the Scripture doesn't end there. It isn't just to know him better. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So it's just not just knowing about him on an intellectual level, but it's it's embracing his very essence and allowing that to flood our being that we may know uh, his great power that's at work in and through us uh, that's immeasurable, It doesn't lack. It's it's not a dried well or a broken cistern. It's a living well, you know, living water. It's full and plentiful. And, And God is here in his word and in his presence to grant us access to himself, to himself this morning. And so that's what's available this morning. It doesn't matter so much what I say to you this morning. I can't make that more available. I can't make it less available. If I get up here and I preach the worst message you've ever heard, man, it doesn't diminish God's availability to you. If I get up here and I preach the the hottest message you've heard this morning, it doesn't make him more available to you. He is available to you. And so that's the reason we study the Scripture. That's the reason we want to open it up, man, and and let you see God unashamed in His fullness, wrestling through the difficult things, that you might know Him better and your life be altered and changed by His very essence. Let's look in... Exodus chapter 23. That's where we find ourselves this morning, Exodus chapter 23. Hey, if you go back a few chapters, man, you remember God is speaking to Moses and they have uh, uh, basically established this judicial system and this system of judging and, and monitoring and, and leading the nation. And, 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 and uh, uh, God says to Moses, these, these are the laws you are to give to the people and to the judges. So the things that we're studying right here isn't uh, words or thoughts that come into the heart of Moses in himself. And he's just speaking these things or sharing these things. These are the words, these are the directives, the principles of God that he's speaking. So every one of these that we're reading, we have to understand the context, where they're coming from. And listen, let me say this to you even before we get started on this. That there's a lot of stuff that we are studying in the scripture. And when you give us some context, the Hebrews, man, had ju- they're months out of, of 400 years of bondage and slavery, right? Oppression in Egypt. They're just a few months outside of this at this moment. And God is giving them direction. Now some of these cats are thinking, I just need to be fed. I need a nice place to sleep. I need a comfortable evening of rest. And God has given all of these directions and all of these ordinances for the future. And sometimes, man, we're we're so fixated in the now that we don't see the value of these uh, precepts that God has given for their future. Let me say this. And to encourage you, because God may be speaking something to you that doesn't necessarily have application in the moment, but it's something that He's given you that in the future you will need. What He's trying to do for you is what He did for Israel, and that is He wants to future proof you. You know what I'm talking about? I don't, have you ever heard of the term future proofing? If you're a PC guy, computer guy, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, for example, in, the, in, in future proofing, the idea in regards to computers efficiency uh, is the notion that you don't buy the computer you need now. You buy the computer you're going to need tomorrow. Or a year from now, or two years. You don't make an investment in a computer that's going to be obsolete within a week or a month. You buy a computer, man, that because of the expense of it, the value of it, you want to buy something that literally is going to uh, hold the course for you and be reliable for years to come. It's future-proofing. You're saying, well, Trent, I don't need that much. You don't now. But you may need it. I don't need an RTX 4090 titanium graphics card now. My GTX 1650 runs it fine. Well, you don't know what's coming out. You're going to need a higher GPU. And so so, uh, the same thing spiritually. There's times that God constitutes things, gives us certain things, and we're saying, man, that's overkill. I need the basic stuff. I need whatever's going to get me through. And God has given us all this other stuff. What we don't understand is it is needed. He knows it's needed. And so we need to understand and value God's attempt to future-proof Israel and us by giving us what we don't perceive as valuable now, later we'll perceive as valuable when it becomes an asset to help us navigate a difficult situation in our lives. You, are you tracking with me? Are you following me? Yeah. Nolan's following me. I've seen his head up and down, acknowledged it. I'm not saying anybody else shook their head over there, but I know Nolan's following. That or he's nodding off. I'm not sure. It's dark out there. Okay, Exodus 23, verse 1 through 9. Now listen, we're going to talk about some pressure today. We're going to be talking about some pressure because God is talking about in these nine verses about justice and mercy, justice and mercy. We're going to read these nine verses. Some of you are eh, not so excited about the justice and the mercy this morning, Trent. You may be before, before we're done. He's talking about justice and mercy. And this is what he said, verses one through nine. Do not spread false reports and do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your... We're talking justice. Now we're going to talk some mercy. Mercy. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. It seems we'll wrestle through that. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death. For I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bride, for a bride blinds those who seize and twists the words of the innocent. Do not, verse 9, listen to this. This is the second time he mentions this, and there's significance to this. And when we get there, you'll completely understand it. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners. Remember, we just read this. Because you were foreigners in Egypt. Let's pray this morning. In Jesus' name, Father, these nine verses, (laughs) speak through them to us. Speak through them to us. Oh, God, how I know this morning you're, you're wanting to do things in the hearts of those that are here. You're wanting to speak life to those that are here. You want to speak life into homes, uh, into uh, jobs, uh, into, into schools, Lord, into the lives of your sons and your daughters, wherever and whatever ground they occupy. I pray, Father, today that our hearts would just open up. Our minds would open up. Our ears would be clear and attentive, listening to what you're going to say through your word to me Oh, God, may each of us in here say to you as an individual, speak to me. Speak to me. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. Now, I want to say something right off the bat as we look at this scripture. There's there's an an obvious uh, understanding that we, we must have. Whenever God, and I think I mentioned this last week, whenever God addresses certain things, it's because the potential for those certain things to play out is real and active. And so what he's talking about over these next nine verses is certain pressures that are being applied under certain conditions that might undermine mercy and justice. And the reason he's addressing these things is because each one of us have the capacity and these certain biases that are in us, that make this thing a real trap for us. Now, God doesn't want this kind of thing in their lives. He didn't want these things fleshing themselves out in such a manner that it would prevent justice and mercy from playing out. And He definitely doesn't want these things in our lives playing out to where justice or the the desire for just what is just to be done and the desire for mercy uh, to be undermined in our lives. But these pressures are real, and they're they're real even today. More so, maybe, than ever before. We all feel this pressure to conform. We feel this pressure to to walk the line. We feel this pressure uh, even in the semantics and the way we interact with people. We feel the pressure to conform to ideology that's neither biblical nor even reasonable. And we feel it. We feel it when we turn on our TVs. We feel it when we go into the retail marketplace. We we feel it when we engage people in the coffee shop, in the restaurant, wherever we might be. We feel this pressure. And if we're not careful, we'll allow that pressure to undermine the justness or justice or the, the promotion of what is right will concede, will we'll bend, will we'll break under that pressure. And before you know it, man, you're caught up in the same stream, Jack, and you're being pulled so far downstream at such a rapid rate, you'll never recover. And you know how it happens in small incremental compromises. It's in the little things that sweep us away. And God is saying, hey, listen, Watch out for these things because they will prevent this. In the very first verse, he says this. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. What he's talking about right here, let me get into this and then we'll, we'll come back. First of all, there's a couple words, man, we've got to get right here in the Hebrew because it's going to kind of open this up, right? When it says do not spread false reports, the word for spread is nasal, and it means to lift up or carry. The the Hebrew word word, uh, uh, for false is shav, and it means empty. So the notion here, what he is saying is do not be picking up or do not be carrying empty claims or empty notions against people. Or even these these false reports, don't be picking this up and carrying this stuff, this false or this emptiness in the defense of a guilty person. Do not allow the pressure of it or, or do not allow yourself to be enticed by someone that you may be close to, someone you may be, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? You you know, it's easy to project out there into the lives of strangers what is right and what is wrong, but then all of a sudden, man, uh, uh, your sons or your daughters or your husbands or your wife, they engage in certain type of uh, activities and whatnot, and all of a sudden it's very, very difficult to look at them through the same eyes of clarity regarding justice as you would a stranger. Well, you don't understand my brother. You don't understand my sister. You don't understand my kid. You know what I'm talking about. We all have this in us. It's that parent that looks at everybody else's kids and says, your kids are crazy. While their kid is climbing the back wall. Swinging around like Tarzan. You know what I'm talking So they look, they said, yeah, but you don't understand my kid. I know he's swinging from the chandeliers, but... He's got this, that, or another. You see what I'm talking about? This biases. And this thing kind of plays out uh, in our culture. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus, because I want you to understand, you can't pick anything up that hadn't been laid down. We cannot be providing in our lives space for empty things to be laid at our feet for us to even reach down, grasp a hold of, lift up and carry off. That's literally what he's saying here. He's literally saying that. How many times have we given ear to nonsense and empty words about people or about situations and instead of saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll, man. And creating distance between yourself, And the empty carrier, we are drawn into that, and we allow them to lay this nonsense at our feet. They deposit it there, and before you know it, man, we have reached down, we have picked that up, and we have carried that thing out. What he's telling his children, Israel, in this situation, regarding testimony, regarding the law, is do not be that type of person. Who invites, and let let me ask you this question, you got to be honest, you got to be honest this morning. are you in it, are you an inviter of empty things? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Are you the one that everyone runs to, to drop off, because they know the moment it's dropped at your feet, it's as good as gone. They, you know. We can't be that person. We can't be that person. And let me say this. If we have the Constitution that God would have us have of sons and daughters of himself, followers of Jesus, I'm not sure it's just enough to create space from the empty talker. I think there's a responsibility to look at the empty talker and say, that's empty talk. And I will not give ear to that, nor a place for that, for you to spread. It stops here. I don't want to hear. I can't tell you. Listen, man, I've been in many a meeting. I've seen in many of these conflict management situations where I have an individual who will come to me and they'll say, Trent, I've got an issue with Joe Schmoe. I hope that Joe Schmoe's not here this morning. But I've got an issue with Joe Schmoe, and, uh, and I need to tell you about it. You know what I always tell them? I always tell them, my wife will tell you, the leadership here in the church will tell you, is you got an issue with Joe Schmo? Oh, hold on a second. I got to call Joe Schmo. I need to get Joe Schmo down here because I don't need you laying this stuff on me that you're not willing to bring to Joe Schmo. We're going to iron this thing out. And then, you know, the typical response is well, it's not really that big of an issue with Joe Schmo. That's what would happen if a lot of us said, to the empty word carrier, let's do this thing right. Let's mend this. Let's fix this. Let's restore this. And then it says this He says, Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Now, these two words are basically interchangeable. When you look in the, in the Hebrew, these two words are basically the same, very similar. It could actually read like this. Instead of saying, do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness, it could literally be read like this. Do not help a malicious person by being a guilty witness. That's the reason in the New King James, it reads like this. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. The wicked is considered unrighteous. Unrighteous is considered wicked. Basically saying in this moment that if you're the cat that picks up the empty words and you carry this and you circulate it, you are as guilty as the individual that has invited you into this dynamic. And God is saying, don't give in to the pressures. Don't give, regardless if that individual, how close they are to you, how intimate they are with you. What wrong is wrong, right is right, regardless of who's participating. Okay. let's, Let's move on then. Then he says this, man, this is, this is heavy stuff. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Do not follow, this is that, this is that, this, is that, uh, uh, this social pressure that we feel, right? We, we've gone from individual, almost like a peer pressure. Now we've gone into this social uh, setting, the crowd, the mob mentality. Everyone's going this way. And all of a sudden, you find yourself caught in that current. He says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Now listen, I want to say this. I want to say this. The majority in itself has never been the determining factor for deciding what is right. It isn't because it is popular or the majority sides with it that deems this thing to be right. Now can the majority be right? The majority can be right, but it has nothing to do with the majority. It has to do with the substance of what is right and wrong. And he is saying regardless, regardless if the majority is doing it or the majority is against it, right is right, wrong is wrong. Do not be sucked into that. And I know it's difficult, right? It's difficult to be in that workplace, man. And you're the only person that has a a spiritual awareness, a sensitivity to who Jesus is and what the Scripture teaches. And everyone around you, man, is, is going on about this, that, or another. And you have to hold your ground in the middle of it. I know that's not easy. I've been there. I've, done, I've been in manufacturing for 25 years. I sit in those close uh, circles of people where, where ridiculous things were being done and said and, 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 and participated in. And there you had to stand and say, no, for me, no. it been so much easier, man, just to go along with it. But you can't. He says, when you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with a crowd. In 1959, a movie came out. Now, I wasn't alive in 1959, so don't be looking at me like that, uh, Chrissy. Like you, you, I know you're thinking, "Oh, Uncle Trent looks like he's about 75. Well, I wasn't born in 1959, but my wife uh, turned me on to some of the classics. You know, Turner Classic or whatever they might be. And and there was a movie that I watched. I had a gentleman by the name of Peter Fonda in it. I'm telling you, if, if I could recommend any one movie, this would be the one movie I would recommend. And it's a movie called 12 Angry Men. Anybody seen that, 12 Angry Men? 12 Angry Men, okay. Turn off Netflix today, guys. Find 12 Angry Men somewhere and you watch that. Watch it. Take take a couple hours and watch that. And what what happens in 12 angry men is there's 12 angry men. It's a jury. And a gentleman is being tried for murder. And 11 of the men come in, right? And they have a conclusion. They reach a verdict. Within a matter of minutes, this guy's guilty. Peter... Bonda basically objects to it and he says, I'm not sure. He didn't say he wasn't guilty. He said, I'm just not sure. And what happens over the next two hours, the entire movie, or hour and a half, takes place in one room. One room. No special CGI, no incredible uh, graphics. No, I'm talking about content. All of it happens in one room. And every man who has has come to a conclusion regarding why he considered the individual to be guilty, exposes himself to certain biases and prejudice against the young man who's committed the crime. And without spoiling it too much for you, let me just say, because it has been out since 1959. Spoiler alert. By the end of the movie, each man being exposed and having to deal with his own biases and his own issues reach a verdict of not guilty. And as they exit the room, the movie basically goes off. But what it does is it exposes that. It exposes the pressure. And some of the guys say in her, why did you vote guilty? And they say, well, because everybody else voted guilty. And God says, don't do that. Don't go with the crowd and pervert justice. Do what is right if you have to do it by yourself. That's the kind of people the kingdom needs, right? People with some backbone and constitution. I ain't talking about people that are abrasive. I ain't talking about people that are hateful and bitter. I am not talking about sandpaper people. I'm talking about people who are gentle, who are kind, but they're strong and they're resolved to do what is right. God say that's the kind of people, you need to be Israel. This is the kind of people we need to be as followers of Jesus. And then he says this, and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Now what is this saying? Deprive the poor of justice? No, that's not what it's saying. What, what it's saying is, don't feel the, the, the pressure of, of... And let me phrase it like this so there's a kind of a modern application. Don't feel the pressure of victimization. Because he's poor, don't undermine justice. Don't undermine... Mur- just because he's poor, the poor murderer is still a murderer. The poor thief is still a thief. The, the, the poor wife-beater is still a wife-beater. Don't allow uh, uh, his status then to pervert justice. I don't know you, the, uh, the lady of justice, you, you know, the, the statue, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The scales, you know, the lady of justice, she has a sword in one hand, To cut through falsehood, to deliver justice. She has the scales in the other hand to weigh the evidence. And you know what else she has on? A blindfold. Blindfold to represent not being manipulated by what she sees, but weighing the evidence and cutting through. That's justice. And God said, Don't allow justice. To come through your eyes. Because believe me. In this culture we live in. We live in a high rate of victimization. The man who robs the store. The man who shoots the individual. The man who beats his wife. The man who. Steals this, the man who burns this, the man, well, you don't understand where he's from. You don't understand what he grew up with. You don't know where he, and all of a sudden the victimization then gives the man the old monopoly get out of jail free card. You know what I'm talking about? And God is saying to his people that ought not be the case, that ought not be the case because he valued justice, what was right. Because when we read this, we think of it as being so harsh, but you have to remember the victim. Would it, be God, would it be right of God then to say, hey, don't worry about that because the cat is poor, even though this woman over here is burying her husband? Where is her mercy? Where is the justice in that, you see? And then he says this. We're moving faster than I thought. I might elaborate a little more on this next verse. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. I'm sticking to my 20 minutes on that verse. It's two verses. Let's read it right here. All right. He goes on to say, <clears throat> All right. In verse four and five, he says, If you come across, now check this out. Because this is a different kind of pressure. This is kind of that internal pressure. Self-inflicted pressure. And you're going to get this. Because you've experienced this. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. You know what the definition of an enemy is? The definition of an enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Hmm. You mean I'm going to have enemies, Trent? Yeah. You're going to have enemies. You're going to have people that's going to oppose you. Does that mean then you treat them in a way that doesn't honor God? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, if we read on into verse 5, God defines who this enemy is and, and what their traits are. Let's read that. He goes on to say, If you see the donkey of someone who hates you, that's the enemy, who hates you. If you see... If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. You know that feeling, don't you? When that individual has done you wrong, Jerry. And then you see them get their comeuppance and a hardship falls on them. Car broke down on the side of the road. You drive by, you beep. Beep. (laughs) Back of your your car had bumper sticker. Beep if you love Jesus. Beep. You, You know that, right? We know that. You know what God would say? Stop your car. Help the individual who you. Don't give in to that internal pressure, that emotional pressure of having been done wrong. And in so doing, you're going to do wrong yourself. Man, that's heavy stuff. And you know the incredible thing about that? is at least the Israelites had an excuse in wrestling with that because they don't have what you and I have as followers of Jesus, and that's the indwelling of the Spirit. Because it's the indwelling of the Spirit, man, that allows us to overcome the internal pressure for vengeance, to be willing to help the individual that you know has opposed you, chosen to hate you. You know what God was saying about his children in Israel? You know what would be one of the flags on the pole of that great nation? Love. This is how we treat our enemies. This is how we treat people, our brothers who hate us. That's how we do it, Bonika. We do good when others have done evil to it. That's what separates followers of Jesus from other people. And in all reality, it is the change that separates us from who we used to be because we used to be the hunkers and the drive buyers. When now, to the love of Jesus, Were the pullovers. We're that people. And if we're not, and you can contextualize that all you want, whatever that looks like. It may not be a car on the side of the road. It could be anything. If you're that guy or that gal who can look at your enemy and revel in their demise and not see... An element of God leading you to become a, uh, a channel, a conduit? A means to restoration? Then you got some questions to answer. And then he says this, and this is kind of up in the air. It kind of seems like a contradiction, but it's not. And this is... Uh, can I, can I put it like this? Have you ever felt pressure from uh, influential people? Like, here, let me let me make a joke. Okay, Carrie's boss is here. I don't. I hate to say that because, you know, Carrie's friend who pays hers here. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a payment for friendship. I know what's going on here. Okay, okay. The pressure of influential people. Okay. It, it kind of works like this. Carrie says, Chase and Brooke are coming to church this morning. You may want to cut the sermon back a little. Not that she said that, because she knows that ain't happening. That ain't, and they know it's not happening now. It's when the boss comes in the room, the boss. And all of a sudden, the things that you were so resolved on all of a sudden become somewhat gray and shady. You don't stood up to your peers, you stood up to the crowd, but now the boss, the influencer's in there. And all of a sudden, everything gets hazy. He says, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Now, you remember what I said earlier? It says, basically, don't show favoritism to poor people. We want justice. Don't grant or don't void out justice in, for favoritism. But you know what he's saying right here? But justice must play out in their lives all the same to their benefit regardless uh, who the influencers may be. Do not, do not withhold justice from because they're poor. Justice needs to play out whether they're poor or not poor. The poor shouldn't even come into play in it. But don't allow whoever the poor is in conflict with then to become an issue. And that's really what he's saying. When the scripture says, do not ju- j- deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits, well, who's the poor people Who who are they suing? Other poor people? Probably not. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death for I will not acquit the guilty. He's speaking to judges who are overseeing the country. And you almost see this thing playing out where he's saying, Hey, judges, you remember, don't let influencers cloud your mind when you see the poor guy rolling in there. When Trent Evans comes in with his small claims court situation and Dish Network, Done double charged him in December and he's trying to get his $147 back just because he's poor, living in Buffalo and Dish Network's this huge conglomerate. Don't deny him justice. Give him his $147.50 and let that thing be. Sometimes you got to break it down, man. Take it down low. He said, because if you don't, then you're the guilty party. And I'm not acquitting the guilty, right? All right. All right. Then he says this, and we're going to move really quick here on these last two verses. Just two. He says, Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see, and a bribe twists the words of the innocent. I had to... Even though the scripture doesn't say and, but it's implying that. So I want to say that so you'll understand. That it's it's the bribe that blinds and it's the bribe that twists. And what God is saying, he's talking about a bribe. He's talking literally to... He said, don't... Don't let financial gain distort what is right. Man, we done walked into a whole arena right there. How many times... Have we failed to do the right thing because it's going to cost us on the dollar end? That's pretty heavy stuff. We can leave it there, man. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 4, it says this. By justice, a king gives a country stability. This is Solomon, right? right? By justice, a king gives a country stability. But listen to this. But a person who values money over justice but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. Bribe makers prosper in the company of bribe takers. Let me say this to you as just a little bit of advice. If you have a price, the enemy will see to it that it's paid. If you're on the hook Jack. For this, believe me, at every corner, man, that price is going to be presented, whatever it takes to compromise you, to compromise your family, to compromise your church, compromise the kingdom. That price will be paid. I remember as a young kid, I'm I'm exposing myself for idiocy as a child here, okay? I remember as a young kid, uh, I used to watch... uh, real combat sports. It was called the WWF. Okay. I didn't say I was watching it last week. When I was a kid, I used to watch, and there was a character on there who is now a Christian. He's actually a minister. And his name was Ted DiBiase. Anybody remember him? Look, boy, look, come on clean. Come on. If you're watching it, Chase, come on. Come on out with it. We're coming out. Come. We got, we got more people. You know you know the million-dollar man. I need a raise of hands. Million-dollar man. Look, now I got Come clean. Come clean. Yeah, honesty, we're confessing. All right? And he used to have this one line. You remember the one line? Everyone has a price for the million-dollar man. Remember that? Remember that? And that's exactly, when when we have that financial thing in our heart, you got a price on you, it's going to be paid. And then you're going to pay, I'm telling you. Let's close on right here. And he says this thing, and this is verse 9. This is the verse that we've already read, right? We read this like, oh, well, last week and the week before and the week before. It feels like it, right? But, but we, we have read this. And he says something in here, and this hit home for me It's, it's such a heavy way. And this is the idea of pressure, the idea of a, of a pressure from leverage or strength. And I say this because I want you to understand that sometimes when we're in an advantageous position, we wield that over others. You know what I talk about, Kevin? You know, the guy that gets the promotion to boss, and he was the best guy on the workforce. And then he gets the promotion to boss, and he becomes a completely different person. Now he's got influence and he's got leverage. And now all of a sudden, he's the boss that you don't like. I'm not mentioning Wes's name. (laughs) Wes was a good boss. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to draw us into some understanding here. And that's what he's talking about right here. He's talking about when we get in a place, man, where we have some strength, we have some... Be careful to... give an end to that, man. Justice can't reign like that. Justness. And mercy isn't in that. And this is what the scripture says. Do not oppress a foreigner. The word oppress is "lakats," And listen to this. It means to squeeze. To crush. To distress. To hold in the shut. It's the image, oppression in Hebrew is the image of putting someone in a vice and cranking down on them. The very essence of it, he is saying to them, don't be a bully. Don't allow your strength to become a weapon. And you weaponize your advantage against those who are subject to you and under you. This ought not be in my people. This is how he finishes that. He says, do not oppress a foreigner. Listen, you yourselves know how it feels to be a foreigner. You know what he's saying right there? You've been in the vice. You've had it cranked down. You know how it feels to be on the other end. He says, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Now, in closing, my question is, why does God say this twice? In just a couple of seconds, Why is this reiterated? Because naturally we want to give the benefit of the doubt and we operate under the assumption that the individual who's been in the vice, when they get out of the vice, they're not going to put somebody in the vice because they know the pain and the suffering of the vice. But what you and I know to be true is that's not the case. The reality, and God knows this and he reiterates this, Because he knows that the experience, the vast vast majority of the time, isn't a deterrent. As a matter of fact, what it is, is seed of destruction being sown in you that'll produce through you a, a crop or a harvest of destruction. Because you've been in the vice, you're more than likely, apart from him, you will become one who puts others in the vice. That's a reality. Show me angry children and I'll show you angry parents. Show me violent kids and I'll show you a violent experience. Show me victims and I'll show you a victimizer. Sexual predators, nine out of 10 times, have been sexual victims. We know this to be true, statistics are everywhere. People who have experienced bitterness become bitter people. People who are raised around anger become angry people. I remember, and this is silly, I remember my nephew, Dennis. He may never listen to this podcast, but Ricky knows him. I remember we were 10, 11, 12 years old, and we'd get into the car, his, his mother's car. And she drove this uh, coolest car you've ever seen. Red, white, racing stripes. It was a Gremlin. <laughs> a little three-speed. You know what I'm talking about. And she, They even had a matching uh, powder blue one. Looked just like it. Had this awesome Gremlin. Second ugliest car to the pacer. <laughs> and I remember we'd get in at Gremlin. First thing she'd do after we got in the She'd pull out that Marlboro. Windows rolled up. She'd start, she'd fire that thing up. I'd be back there. Could y'all roll? Winded <laughs> like, Dennis would say all the time, he'd say, Mom, I hate when you smoke in a car. I hate when you do that. I hate this. Not about. Back- <laughs> And then I remember we grew up and I was over at his house one day and I there talking to him. You know what he did? He reached down there and he grabbed a cigarette. he fired it up. This ain't a sermon about cigarettes. It's just a sermon about situations, man. If you're not careful, the experiences that you've had in your life will turn you into that very thing. The very thing that you despise. My father... And all the trauma and all the things that we experienced in life. I remember saying at one point young in my, in my marriage. I remember one day looking in the mirror. Thinking man. I look a whole lot like him. I smell a whole lot like him. I wrestle with the same things that he wrestled with. I become the very thing that I despised and I hated. He had put me in a vice. And now I was that vice master. And if it wasn't for Jesus, it would have fleshed itself out in my life and I would have had people there. My children would have been in the vice. My wife would have been in the vice. And God says to them the second time, remember, you know what it feels like to be in the vice. And you have the propensity to put others there. Hence, I'm going to address this twice. Maybe both ears will hear. And so here we are today, and we're going to close on that, right? Maybe you're the vice master now. It may not be what it was for me. It may not be this, that, or not. But you know, you know, the things that you had experienced, the things that you resented, the things that you hated, all of a sudden, man, they kind of feel at home in you, don't they? You know what I mean? You're starting to look like dad. You're starting to act like mom. You're starting to act like the 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 victimizer, the the perpetrator. And now you've become the perpetrator. You carrying the safe old garbage. the dirty luggage you're carrying it around man, my brother and my sister and it might not be so as followers of Jesus and so what we're going to do today is we're going to stand collectively as a group and we're going to take communion this morning and you guys know how it works Outside, front to the back, and then the front. Circle around. We'll take the elements. And if you've been in the vice, whatever that was, and now you work the vice, whatever that is, maybe today's a good day, man just above the vice down. Right? Yeah, maybe. Right? So we're going to come, we're going to take communion. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. I'm going to ask some of the elders to come and after we take communion, we have an individual I want to pray for this morning. we're going to pray. And I'm just asking you, man, this morning, let God just search your heart. Let him do some work in your heart this morning. Maybe it's the beginning of being liberated. Maybe he's already been speaking to you. And this is a step you need to take, man, and just say enough is enough. So I'm going to pray, we're going to march around listen, once you get your elements and you guys know, know the drill, you'll get two cups the bread is in the bottom cup so I'm going to ask you to come in an orderly manner and then be seated don't take the elements yet and we're going to take communion together but if you need to take a moment to pray to wrestle some things out, you can do that these altars are open So let's pray, okay? Father, in Jesus' name. Oh God, how you valued what was right and what was beneficial. And Lord, how you put forth such a great effort to future-proof your children this nation to establish perimeters to protect them all. That justice would be promoted and mercy would be lived out. Oh God, a loving Father you are. And Father, I thank you that you sent your Son, that you sent your Son to die for us, to get us out of the vice, and to let others out of the vice. The Father, I pray for each person who comes this morning to receive the elements that represent the blood and body of Jesus and the sacrifice he made, the expression of love in him that you gave to us. I pray, Father, this morning that they would consider their own heart and their own mind and wrestle through those issues with you. Yeah, Lord, with you. Minister to us as we come, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.